Welcome to Limitless, the blind beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community, in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marsley. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marsley. Thank you for joining us again this week. We have another fantastic episode, if I do say so myself. We are talking about space camp. Did you know that there is a space camp for students who are blind or partially sighted? Uh, this did not exist when I was growing up, so I'm excited to learn more about it. And I have a full house today. We have three co-hosts. We have Nolan, Jagad, and Jill. Uh, Nolan and Jagad have not been to space camp. And Jill, you have been to space camp, correct? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. And we also have Dan Oates. My understanding is that this whole space camp for the visually impaired is, is kind of because of you. Am I correct? Welcome. First of all. Well, thank you. Um, I would not say it's because of me. I have a lot to do with it. I'm the only one still standing after 32 years. Wow. So, um, I'm, I'm glad, to, glad to coordinate it. And, uh, I, I'm assuming if I didn't do it, someone else would. I don't know. That's a big assumption. Well, why don't you explain who you are and what Space Camp is? Let's start there. Okay. Uh, we call it, um, we call it SCIVIS, S-C-I-V-I-S, which is Space Camp for Interested Visually Impaired Students. Um, it is in its 32nd year. We started in 1990 with 20 students from the West Virginia School for the Blind where I taught for 30 years. Um, I was a mobility instructor there for 14, and then I was an outreach specialist um, for another 16 at the same time doing, I was a low, low vision therapist, uh, COMS, uh, mobility uh, certified, and uh, just did a whole bunch of different things. And the school was kind enough to uh, let us proceed with our space camp program during that period of time, our former superintendent started it uh, back in 1990, along with the founder of Space Camp, who actually grew up here in my hometown in West Virginia, where the West Virginia School for the Blind is. So that was the connection between Space Camp, a gentleman by the name of Ed Buckby, who worked with the German rocket scientist Werner von Braun. So that was our connection between Alabama and West Virginia. Um, the program started out small. We didn't allow it to grow uh, quickly. We did. Uh, we started with 20 kids from one school. The next year, we increased three more residential schools. Then we increased five more residential schools. And then in 1993, we started allowing um, students coming from the public school, which in the United States, that's a vast majority of our students attend public schools. I'm sure it does in Canada because I'm not, mm -hmm. you guys have probably one or two residential schools in the, in the, yes. in the country. 
So um, we grew and we grew and then we got into uh, international students because I worked at space camp during the summers uh, when I was off teaching here at the school. I'd go to drive down to Alabama, which is about 13 hours from here and uh, work in the educator program. And there I was allowed to speak to the teachers. And sometimes we had over 35 countries in one summer, wow. about 100 teachers. So I was allowed to speak to them and uh, talk about special programs. We had, uh, of course, Sivis is the one that I sort of coordinate. And then there was a program for the deaf. Uh, we've done a program for little people before. Um, we have an adult program for blind and visually impaired. And uh, any, any special program used to sort of flow through me, but I think now Space Camp's got its own legs. They don't really need me as much uh, for the different kinds of programs that they do. And uh, we then we got our first international student from Australia, and then uh, got this call from a crazy lady in Canada named Lynn Langell. <laughs> Lynn said she had a student she wanted to bring, but she was so scared. She was so scared to come down here. And so we <laughs> talked and we finally got her all lined up and she's been a huge advocate for the program ever since and huh. literally have brought dozens of kids, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah. I've been hearing about space camp for yeah. over a decade. Jill, you, when did you go to space camp? Um, I don't remember the exact year, but I think I was, um, I, it was right before my 14th birthday. So that would have been like 10 years ago, but yeah. So that was when I went. So I guess about 10 years ago. Awesome. What was it like as a blind person going to space camp? So I, my story is a little bit different um, because at the time that I went to space camp, I was uh, like still low vision. Um, I'm fully blind now. Actually, shortly after I got back from space camp, like maybe, I don't know, I think six months after I started losing my sight. Um, not related at all, but it was incidental. <laughs> not, not a good selling feature for space. We, we were not responsible for that. She didn't get a space virus or anything. <laughs> it's that zero gravity. It has a maybe. Rather... <laughs> the aliens did it. There you go. Good. But yeah, yeah. Um, and what was really unique uh, for me, at least, was space camp was my very first camp for the blind and visually impaired ever and my first um I guess international trip by myself <laughs> at 13 I think I, I'm pretty sure I was 13 so it was a big thing for me all around um so I grew up in a small town actually <laughs> Dawson Creek where no one's from um so I actually traveled with my parents to Vancouver and then from there I met up with there's only like four of us that I knew at the time going from Canada um, I'm pretty sure it's the same Lynn you guys are talking mm -hmm. about that we traveled with yes. and Mike from BC Blind Sports was also with us. Yeah. Um, and then we traveled, we actually ended up staying overnight in Vancouver and then heading to Alabama the next day. Um, yeah. So it was really unique for me in a lot of ways. So, um, I, we didn't really introduce Nolan and Jagad, so maybe, <laughs> um, how old are you guys and what are your thoughts like what do you know about space camp and are you planning to sign up at some point what you know why were you interested in being part of this conversation hello everyone i'm jugad i'm 14 years old and i'm partially sighted with a condition called leber's congenital amaurosis and 
I was really interested in doing this podcast with Dan Oates, Jill, Nolan, and Sean because I'm what one might say a space nerd in which that I like to know every single detail about space in general. And Space Camp for the Blind was a really interesting concept to me because space is a really visual thing. Like, that's why I had like tons of questions, which we'll get to later mm-hmm. um, about space and how they've adapted it in Space Camp for blind people. I'm Nolan. I'm also 14 years old. I'm completely blind, and I actually also have Lieber's congenital amaurosis. I've also thought that space is a very interesting subject, and I remember the first time I heard about space camp was my vision teacher, my braille teacher, told me that he had actually, I guess, sent a few of his other students there or something. That was me. Oh, right. You guys are from yeah. Oh, yeah. No one's ever yeah. from there. Yeah. Except... Right. <laughs> Nolan. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Nolan. And then I remember he said that he'd talked to my parents about getting me to go, but I guess that just... Uh... Well, COVID probably mm-hmm. happened. How old do you have to be to go to space camp? Um, usually 10 or in grade four. Okay. And all the way up to high school, like... Yeah, all, all the way up through high school. Okay. So I could still go. You can. Okay, so I know these guys have a lot of questions. I have some too, but let's 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 ask our questions, guys. So um, the first question is, Dan, I know you have touched on this and you have told us about your amazing and eventful history, which is quite admirable that you're the only one um, now who has... Um, created space camp but my question is what gave you this idea of space camp well let, let me put an end to that some of that um, it wasn't my idea uh, I was a chaperone on the first group of uh, we had 20 kids and five teachers to go and I was one of the teachers and it was as much as an adventure for me as it was for the kids because I'd never been uh, to space camp either I had asked Mr. Buckby, the founder, when he was home here about it. And that was about all I knew. Um, I was fortunate enough to go. Uh, I came back. They said they needed a mobility instructor to go. So I was like, yes, I'll go. Please, please send me. So we went. Uh, It was a great experience for the kids. Um, The next year I said it grew and I went back again. And then the next year I went back again. And about the third or fourth year I asked, if I could become more of a um, organizer for it, because I was in the outreach office by then and the outreach office does that outreach thing to where I could reach out for more kids in the state, more kids in the United States, do more presentations. And that's how I sort of got the handle of coordinating it, but I really did not start it in any way, shape or form. I was just, I'm the perpetuator of it, I think, at this point in time is what, what I am. Dan and Jill, you both have been to space camp. Um, so could you tell us a bit about your experiences? Because Dan went there when it was like near the start and Jill has gone um, like 10 years ago. So it's kind of interesting to see 
how Space Camp changed and how it was started. I'll, I'll let Jill start off with that. Sure. Um, yeah, so like I said, like it was a pretty unique experience for me um, because of my first time traveling by myself and out of the country. Um, I, I just remember when we first got there and like it was a really big, well, to me at 14 or 13, it was a really big fancy center. And I had never been around so many blind or visually impaired people in my life. So it was kind of like, um, I guess you could say a little bit of a culture shock because there was people from all over the place and different levels of vision. And like there were canes flying around everywhere. Like it was just, it was quite the experience. Um, and I, I don't know, every, this is what it seemed like to me, but every part of like the, the buildings and the dorms and everything kind of had a space feel to it. Like the way, like the colors and like the way it was designed had a kind of a fa like a space theme, which is really cool to me. Um, and yeah, I don't like, I can't remember how many people were in my group, but I'm pretty sure it ranged from ages 11 to I think 14 or 16. So it was, it was really nice to have like a, quite a wide variety of ages within each group. And um, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, if they still do th this or not, but they had, um, at least when I was there, they had the space camp part of the camp. And they also had the, um, I don't know what it was called, but it was more like kind of like a military kind of. Aviation challenge. Aviation, yes. Aviation challenge, yeah. Yeah, top, so. Top gun fighter pilot's cool. Right, which is super cool. And I didn't mm. know that was an option when I had signed up for space camp. Um, so I do the space camp side, but there's also the aviation side, which is super cool. Um, so the, the, kind of, the camp was kind of split into two halves, whether like whatever program you signed up for. Um, and um, a few of the like activities, I guess you could say we did was um, that I really remember and thought were really fun was um, there was actual actual like space simulators. So you would like be paired up and I think there was four of us who like actually got to go through the simulator of like, like launching a rocket and going up into space and then coming back down and like landing the rocket which didn't go well for, for our group we crashed but um like the, it was actual like you climbed up into like the i don't know if it's called the cockpit in a spaceship but you know um and we actually got to go through the whole sequence of like starting up the engines and like actually launching it and there was i believe there were screens that would show um like our rocket taking off basically and we had to go through like hitting all the like all the buttons and going through like the launch sequence and everything. It was so cool. Um, and like what was really nice because they had made it equal. So there was two low vision and two um, like total blind, totally blind. So if like the low vision could help out the totals if like needed with finding buttons and everything was like had large print or braille. So it was very accessible both for like the simulation um, like manuals because we would read um, you know like for each person what your job was and what you had to do like it was all written out very clearly in little booklets and you would have said whether you wanted large print or braille and all the buttons and the keypads in the spaceship like simulator again were all large print and braille so it was super accessible which was pretty cool to me because you know I grew up in a small town where a lot of stuff isn't accessible so to be in a place that was designed a lot for blind and visually impaired people was amazing. Um, so that was 
definitely the top, one of the top things we did that was super fun. And part of that was, um, I believe it was two of us, whoever the two who didn't actually get to like launch and fly the rocket, got to go actually put on like a, you know, an actual spacesuit. And I don't know if it's an actual spacesuit, but like they designed one to make it seem that way. And you're attached to a cord and you're like, they, you kind of go out, it's like a kind of a, like if you, a mock, you're like mock space. And you get to go kind of build this little contraption on this big metal wall. Um, and you're in this big space suit. So it was like, you feel funny moving around. Like it was really cool to get that experience. And it was like, you're laughing because you can't, you feel like you're floating and like you're bang- wearing this big helmet that feels like a fishbowl. Like it's really fun. <laughs> that sounds fun. How is that created? Like you said, it actually felt like you were floating. Like that, that's called the uh, multi G wall. And, <sighs> um, or the and and what it is it's or it's called the micro g wall i'm sorry and it's uh you're strapped into a chair and all it is is a seat and you're you're suspended from the ceiling with um and you're right in front of the scuba tank so there are big tanks at the top of your chair that um are your weight is equalized by water out of the scuba tank so you you're neutrally buoyant and the wall is just filled with uh, nodes and struts, long poles mm-hmm. and little round nodes. And you can, once you're neutrally buoyant, you can climb over that thing just like Spider-Man. You can go up <laughs> or down or left or right. Um, it's harder to go down than it is to go up. But uh, mm-hmm. then you're given a task, like she mm-hmm. said, build these funny little metal things. And you're, you're given this task to do and with your helmet, your spacesuit, your gloves, and everything, and it's and you don't know what you're doing because you're getting um, you're getting instructions over your headset, just like you would in space. That so that was my one my that was the coolest thing that we got to do. Or and that I, sounds um, really. Joe, Joe was on a Joe was on a team, and yes, team yes. consists of anywhere from ten to sixteen kids. And the, the, the basis is of the, the whole week, the, the, the end result is the mission. And that's what Jill's been um, explaining. And the mission is that you launch, you go into space, you release a satellite, and you come back with hopefully a successful landing, <laughs> uh, which doesn't always happen. No, definitely not. <laughs> if, it's, if it's perfect, then it's no fun to remember. Yeah. What happens when you don't have a successful landing? Oh, you um, your rocket blows up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's no, like a little no like a thing that shows it blows up. Yeah, Jill, Jill survived. There wasn't any. Yeah, right. she survived. She's here and to tell talk about it. So talk, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you have to sort of you sort of look at the event, the mission as a play, mm-hmm. uh, which is what you're more familiar with. Everybody's given um, a position or a role. And everybody's given a script to read uh, or to act on at the particular mm-hmm. time. There's people on the flight deck where Jill was. There's people who do uh, spacewalks or EVAs. There's people who are in mission control, which is ground base. And there's people who are on the space station. And they all work together to achieve all these goals. Of course, flight deck is supposed to launch and land, uh, deploy the satellite. Flight, um, the EVA people are supposed to go out and perform their spacewalk. P- 
people in the space station have uh, experiments to do and uh, ground control, uh, mission control is responsible for all the logistics, the, uh, the public service announcements and everything. Mm -hmm. And the mission control um, part of it, I've, we got to do two different tasks from what I recall. Because um, right. I remember doing mission control as well. So it, like you're in a room with all these like these keypads and these screens and you have headsets. Um, and I believe my one of my or my role in the mission control was to be like the kind of sounding board for the public to like tell them what was going on. And you have a script and you're basically acting like you're you're on air telling the public like, okay, they're launching, like this is what's happening. Um, so that was really fun too, because you got to be part of like, you know, you're up in space, but you're, and then the other parts you're on the ground. Um, so those were really, I don't, I've loved both of those experiences. And then um, the part when you're, the experiment part, I didn't get to do that. Um, Cause I think you got to kind of choose which ones you were most interested in and if they could make it work then they would put you in the ones you were most interested in. But I vaguely remember my friends who were in the experiment got to make a ball of slime or something. Um, so it was a kind of like a fun little experiment um, that they showed me after. So yeah, it's really, like, everything you do um, throughout the week, like Dan said, leads up to the mission. So um, like a couple ac other activities we did is, I don't remember what they were called. So Dan, you can kind of fill in the terms, but one of them was like, it felt like you were like in a like walking on the moon, like in this little chair, and you're like bouncing across the floor and stuff. Um, so you felt like you're like jumping across the moon, which is super fun. That was the one six chair. Yeah, that was so fun. Because you're on the, you have the same the, you're once again you're suspended from the ceiling in a chair, uh, and you have springs that are attached to the ceiling, and those springs displace uh, five sixths of your weight. So when you move, you're moving at one sixth. Of, if you weigh 120 pounds, you're actually jumping around like you only weigh 20. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was so fun. Yeah. I love that one. And then the other one that I really loved was, again, Dan, you can fill in the terms, but it looked like you're, there's this chair that's in between, I think it was like these two big metal rings. And when you're like, you're strapped into this chair, um, it could be this year, I can't remember what it's called, but basically they start up this machine and the chair starts flipping around, like upside down, oh. forward, side to side, and the metal rings are like spinning and twisting around you. And it's scary at first, but it was such a blast once you got into it. So that yes. was my favorite one by far. Yeah, that's called the multi-axis trainer or the MAT. And it is designed, uh, you are in the middle of metal rings. And each one of the metal rings, when they start it up, goes in a different direction. So it's designed not to make you sick because your stomach <laughs> is the center of gravity. So therefore, mm -hmm. there's no sloshing around anywhere of stuff that, come, <laughs> that can come up. Um, you're also, um, you don't go in the same direction more than once. So therefore, your inner ear fluid doesn't make you dizzy. Oh, wow. So it's actually designed not to make you sick. Uh, you each ride lasts about, you know, anywhere from 30 to 45 seconds. Uh, like Jill says, it's a little spooky at first, but then once you get to roll it and spin it around, and usually they, uh, the, the, the yells of uh, terror <laughs> become uh, laughter. And it's so fun. I've seen, I've seen 
hundreds of people act like that. And I, of course, was trained to operate it as well. I worked there. I would like to try that. Yeah, I would. I don't think I would. That sounds mm. like a ride on, at, at an amusement park that I wouldn't enjoy. <laughs> yeah. But I am curious about how do you simulate a spacewalk? Wait, is that the same thing as the chair suspended from the ceiling, or is that that's different? that's one of them? There's another one. We have another simulator called the Five Degrees of Freedom, which is left, right, up, down, side to side, um, and that is the chair that you're put in that operates off of a, a vacuum that lifts the chair off of the ground about a quarter of an inch with three big pads. And that lets you move around in a frictionless environment, just like what you do in space. And we put you in that, strap you in, and then you have to move up to a, a table and create another one of those things with metal poles that Jill was talking about. But it's really hard because anytime you exert force one way, then your body turns the other way you kind of anchor yourself down because you're moving within a frictionless environment and another one of the EVAs may be simply moving um, going out of the uh, off the flight deck exiting the uh, orbiter and walking out onto the training center floor where they have tasks for you to do out there and just walking around cool how long is the uh, I mean not how long like the part where you actually get um, suspended um, from the ceiling and you actually do the um, the thing that you said about the water and the weight and how it makes well, you feel that, weightless. Does that, that make you feel sick at all? Like, oh, no, that no, no. Like it's extremely hot because you're in the suit. You're moving uh, against your own weight and you get really hot. They give you ice packs. They give you a vest with ice packs to wear so your body doesn't get too hot. But you're in there as long as it takes to get the job done. If you <laughs> if you hop in there and you get her done in five minutes, then you're done. If you get in there and you struggle and you might be up there 20 minutes until they have to get you back in the, on the flight deck before you can uh, go back to space because they can't leave you up there. Yeah, so is like the longest you can be in there like 20 minutes? Yeah, quite possibly. That would be, I wouldn't think, I wouldn't think there'd be any more time so someone doesn't end up being in there for like an hour and making the oh, mission take no. really long. Or no, 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 no. <laughs> the missions are only an hour or two hours. Uh, and, there for, <laughs> and it depends on what mission you're in as to what EVAs you get or spacewalks you get. So you may mm -hmm. not get that particular one. So how much did you have to adapt to make it accessible for students who couldn't see? Oh, Lord, that's been a 32 year process. Um, <laughs> We started off with uh, very, you know, we, I didn't get to go down for the exploratory trip. The science teacher and the principal and the superintendent went down the first time, sort of looked the place over. Um, they exchanged ideas. We were mailed because in those days there wasn't an email, if you guys can imagine yeah. that. <laughs> um, we, we were mailed a floppy disk with the, uh, with the information on it so we could produce braille and large print. Uh, today, it's basically the same thing, except for those files are emailed back and forth. Uh, Space Camp has been really, really uh, adaptable to us, even though we're only there one week out of the year. We are their most favorite week of the year uh, to, have, to, to have kids, because they do, they do programming um, 50 weeks a year 
Uh, they get in the average 700 to 900 kids every week in the summer. Uh, so for us to come in with anywhere from 100 to 200 kids is sort of a relaxing week for them, but they love it just simply because their kids are so cool. And uh, so they, they have, when they upgrade their um, software packages for the missions, for mission control and flight deck and everything, they did not use commercial um, produced software like uh, JAWS or anything like that. They developed their own and used it. So they have their own speech, uh, they have their own screen enlargement software, which are available by keystroke. So anybody can come in sit down and with a keystroke, pull up the accessibility they need. And then if the next week, you know, sighted kids are there, like they are 49 weeks out of the year, they, they sit down and don't even have a clue that that's all available to them. Wow. They did that wow. for the one they week a that. year. That's they, amazing. They did that, that is amazing. And it, it really has, they, they received the American Foundation for the Blind Accessibility Award in 1999. Yeah because I just felt that that was something, you just don't get that, you know? Yeah. Now you, you might get that in a camp for the blind and that's yeah where the, that's all they do. But yeah. for a camp that does, you know, takes up 2% of their year, uh, it's it's pretty amazing that they would do that. that. So it is amazing. It is. And I I can't stress enough the, the cooperation we get um, while we're there i mean they transform the entire center for us they spend a week before getting signs up there's like informational signs that are attached around the around the center so when the tourists come in who are visiting the center and they see you know 15 kids walking with canes and running into things that they're going oh what what's that about and there's a sign there that says hey this is what we do and this is why we're doing it. And uh, if you want to contribute, you can send a check to the U.S. Space and Rocket Center Education Foundation for our scholarship fund. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So that that is really. Uh, but once again, you know, they they are by far the greatest group of people that I've ever worked with who are not in the field of, of blindness or visual impairment. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of mind blown at a hundred visually impaired kids. Jill, what was that like? If that's your first blind camp you went to yeah. and there was like over a hundred kids. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. And like, you know, growing up, it was me and one other girl. Yeah. Uh, and like that's it that I knew of. And like I said, Space Camp was my very first camp for the blind or visually impaired ever. I got into more after that, but that was my like very first one. And I'd only known one other blind kid. Like, it was crazy. And wow. just like, and then I, you know, when I traveled, I went to Vancouver and met three more. Like, wow, that seems like a lot. And then get there <laughs> and there's like, what, I don't even know, 100, 200 kids. I'm like, oh my God. Like, I just was so mind blown because I never really like, it never really occurred to me that there's different, uh, like people using canes, tons of low vision, people with, with ID canes, um, I don't think there were any dogs, like guide dogs when I was there mm -hmm. that I remember. There, actually, there was this, a, a guy who came and gave a presentation and he brought, he had his guide dog. Um, so it was, it was kind of overwhelming in a really great way because mm -hmm. like, like I said, everything was very accessible. Um, and like Dan said, they did that very deliberately and 
like mm-hmm. it was amazing but the nice thing especially with space camp um like you were in your groups and each group like you would do all the activities throughout the day together um and you had certain um I guess teachers or chaperones for each group that kind of alternate um on the days or days to nights um because each floor I think had like two or three chaperones who would stay up in case anyone needed help mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of like independence so like those they help like they orientate you around the building so here's your dorm here's how to find it from the stairs or the elevator or whatever it was here's the showers and bathrooms um you know this is how the dining room work or dining hall works um so like but they let you figure it out for yourself and it was really independent like even for me like being a low vision when you come to the top of the stairs where the dorms were um because like there's I don't know how many floors of dorms but there's like girls floor guys floor kind of thing but um I just remember coming up to the top of the stairs and like okay your room like your room is on the left side like second from the end and I get up there and look around and everything and every door looks exactly the same and like oh my god like I don't know where to go and like being low vision like I didn't use a cane and I didn't really know like I knew left and rights, but not like I know now. So it's like, which side? And like just figuring it out was like a really, um, like the first time I ever really got to be independent that way. Mm. But there's always people to help you. You needed questions, you had questions, you didn't know what to do. Um, and there's just so many people from all, like all over, I mean, especially the States, of course. But I don't remember there being any, anyone else that I had met who was um, from another country, aside from Canada or the States. But there is people from, like all different like all different states and I remember a big thing for a lot of us at the time was everyone would bring a pin from whatever like state or Canada and you would exchange like little pins um mm-hmm. from people mm-hmm. so it's kind of like a cool way like I got a pin from here like it was exciting um cool. and I think there's so a you could shot. like show people what they yeah. bring it back with you or something like look I met someone from like mm-hmm. I don't know West Virginia or something like I don't know where that is but look I got a pin uh, <laughs> um, and there's a gift shop too so like you could buy um I think I bought a space teddy bear well it's teddy bear with a space suit on <laughs> like um like just magnets and all these cool little like space related things um so yeah it was definitely like quite overwhelming for me because it was my first time ever being by myself for like and around that many blind and visually impaired people um, so that was really a cool experience for me, just being around that many people who were, you know, in similar situ- situations to me when I had never been around hardly yeah. anyone like that. And that was huge because, you know, like you get kind of told about like, you're going to be with this many people who are all blind or visually impaired. But once you find someone who has like the same eye condition or similar level of vision, and then you learn about all the other different types of vision and eye conditions, it gets kind of blows your mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but you feel like you're just part of the one big group because everyone's in the same situation. And sometimes it's really nice just to be around a whole bunch of people who understand what it's like. So that was a big thing for me as well. Just having that experience aside from all the space stuff, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. What is the, like, the ultimate goal of space camp? Is it like for fun or is it an educational experience? It's definitely an educational experience. Um, but for us, as blind and visually impaired community, um, on top or beside of the educational experience is the social experience, much like Jill had talked about being around uh, other kids. 
it is mm-hmm. it is unique uh, situation. We at one time when we were pre-COVID, uh, we were the largest group of academically oriented kids in the world that gather uh, together. Um, sporting events, of course, get more, but for academics, mm. we were the biggest. And and it is it is difficult in talking with parents who, um, well, my kid my kid doesn't need that. They're they're fine. They get along in public school really well. They'll be they don't need to go. And the thing of it is, is I've never talked to a kid who went there, who regretted being there with other blind kids. It is it is their week to hang out, be with their peers. Yeah, they're 51 weeks a year. It's fine to go back to your school and hang with your, your sighted peers. But for one week, and I get kids that start in the fourth grade and come back every year until they graduate from high school and then email me and say, can I come back as a college freshman? And I go, <laughs> I go no, graduate, get a job, and you can come back to the college. So it, it, it is a... It is a uh, difficult thing. Um, parents sometimes have to be convinced of it, but then I get calls back and say, gosh, I'm glad you talked me into that. My child had a ball. When are you going to do it again? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and yeah. I like one of the girls that was in my group who I became, you know, very fast friends with as Grace Camp 10, almost 11 or 12 years later, we still keep in touch like yeah. every couple of months. So it's, it's uh-huh. a very fast thing, but you kind of, I don't know, you still end up keeping in touch and that's the really nice part because she's from florida or she was from florida and i'm here in canada mm-hmm. like you know we might never get a chance to see each other again but the fact that we went through that situation together and had such a blast we wanted to keep in touch and especially now with like you know social media and online stuff it's a lot easier to do that so it definitely kind of both the friendships and the experience stick with you for a very long time yeah, it, it happens a lot. When we were uh, 2019, our last year before COVID, we had uh, 200 and uh, well, we had 192 kids from 26 states and uh, 13 different countries. Wow. So wow. The, the international component is very, very unique. They have kids from Canada, Romania, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, Germany, uh, Ireland, all over the world who are blind and visually impaired. It's a great professional experience, too, for the chaperones who bring the kids to camp because they're right in the midst of their peers uh, for the entire week. And there's Mm -hmm. downtime where they can sit and talk. And a lot of programs, I mean, that's where the um, CLVP program came out of those of you who are familiar with the Mm -hmm. Logan project that was because Lynn met the girl from West Virginia who has the program here wow we all all came up to British Columbia and and spent the week with Lynn and went through the program up there with her so more than that program has come out of space camp just by being around your peers Mm -hmm. that's amazing um what's the process of getting to space camp the application process we don't we don't turn anybody away i mean if somebody uh, has the money and again come that's fine we we don't turn them away unless I mean, we even have accepted sighted kids during that time um if you have multiple disabilities and uh or maybe deaf blind then we ask for at least two interveners to come with that child so they don't have to work 
24-7. They can work in two-hour shifts. We have a kid coming this year who is, uh, who is deafblind who will have two interveners with them. Uh, the, pro the applications are online, and I can, I can just let you guys know right now, I've got money to spend on kids coming from Canada. Ooh. I can, ah. I can yeah. pay tuition. I can pay airfare. Um, if you want to come, go <laughs> to our saviz.org, go to forms, fill out the Lighthouse or the Northrop Grumman Scholarship and apply because um, I've already done the first round of scholarships and I've got money left over. And I know what? for me, I, um, I don't, my, uh, when I went like um, the military police fund, um, yes. will fund, I don't know how many, I, I believe only once the military police fund will fund you to go. Um, and you're at least my vision teacher at the time had helped me um, with that process. So that's how I was able to go was through the military police fund. And many of my friends who have gone all also went through the military police fund. So yeah, if you're looking for cool. funding, that's also another really great option. Yeah, that's not available this year from what I understand. Oh, wow. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What time of year does this camp happen? And, and is it too late for this year? Would they be applying for next year? No, Se yeah. September 18th to the 22nd. Um, you guys usually uh, can, Canadian. We've got two kids coming right now from BC um, mm -hmm. and a chaperone. And uh, they'll arrive on this. In fact, I just got their flights booked today for them. They'll, they'll arrive on the 17th and uh, they will depart on the 23rd of September. Okay. So, Very cool. So like, how long does it take usually to um, like apply before the event? Well, we, we um, opened up our scholarships in uh, February and we closed them, I think uh, the middle of April. And that was our first round. And once that first round's over, and I can do my budget based upon, I mean, the, like the kids from Romania are extremely expensive to get here. Actually, the kids from Costa Rica were more expensive than the uh, students from um, uh, Belgium. So uh, you just don't know about flights. And while I get, I think I had $110,000 this year for scholarships across, and that's across three or four different funders. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, really hard to predict what air airfare is going to be i know what tuition is so that's not the issue i know what all the different fees are but airfare is the one that um, is very difficult to predict i think you guys were 1200 or no 1100 dollars mm -hmm. ticket wow. and i've got a chaperone coming with one child and then i've got a parent coming with another child although we cannot find the parent uh, flight and we can't so we don't we don't do parents i was just going to ask that do parents is that common that parents come um yeah yeah parents come there's a hotel right next door they can do that they may drop their kids off uh nashville's only two hours away atlanta's four hours away mm -hmm. uh parents come drop their kids off on sunday morning they disappear and they come back and pick them up okay that's fine there's right. no problem with that because we don't parents can't be chaperones mm -hmm. um parents yeah. can't uh we can't pay for their flights or anything like yeah. that. yeah i guess the whole experience is that kids can spend some time away from the parents amen <laughs> to that brother amen. yeah <laughs> so i know i did that recently and it was yeah i, I 
I would rather deal with teachers and children any day than a parent. And I work, <laughs> I work for 16 years in a parent program. So believe me, I've done my time. <laughs> so usually is it like, who comes with the children? Do they come alone? Some do. We, we had a student in 2019, totally blind, who flew independently from India. Oh, wow. And, wow. Uh, totally blind, walked in, and we were like, he made it, he made it. <laughs> but, uh, parents, parents can bring them, chaperones can bring them. Um, we have a great airport program where the, as you get off of the flight and at the gate, we have space camp staff to meet you and take you to luggage, take your ticket from you, transport you to space camp. And then in the following Friday, they take you back to the airport, give you your ticket, check you in, walk you to the gate, put you on the plane. So even you may wow. be alone on that plane, but once you hit Huntsville, then you are uh, watched over. And uh, if you have a chaperone to come with you, that's fine too. The chaperone will be assigned as a technical assistant to a team and uh, they help, of course, the, the, the employees at Space Camp don't know Braille. They don't know that much about blind kids. And uh, that's what the chaperone's role is, is to provide that technical assistance. Do you provide so, training to the staff there on yeah, how now, to interact with people who are blind? As, as I can, Sean, I mean, I live 13 hours away. I mm -hmm. have a limited budget myself. So, and Space Camp has camp prior to Right. So I can't go down there and spend a week and spend yeah. it with the staff. So I do about a two to a three hour uh, session with the staff. Um, they have uh, PowerPoints that they can review. Um, we do a good bit of sighted guide with mm -hmm. them under blindfold. Uh, we talk about different eye conditions and how those eye conditions may be uh, impacted by uh, the, the simulators that the kids are on. There is a wonderful, wonderful nurses staff there in sick bay, and they are they love this program because they say they get to be nurses. They get to actually take care of children and not peddle uh, ADHD medicine and aspirin and that sort of thing. Because we get kids in with all types of disabilities and medical conditions, brain tumor, uh, heart conditions. And they really ride rain over it like you would not believe. They do a fantastic job. We, awesome. we work with them very closely. So uh, this program started, uh, I graduated high school in 1992. So I missed uh, out, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm visually impaired and I want to go. So what's the adult yeah. program? <laughs> well, uh, the adult program is such just, this is, this is pretty much like anybody, anybody who's visually impaired can go to space camp at any time, as long as there is a program offered the week you want to go. Uh, we do the adult program for the blind, and it's not exclusive to blindness. We'll have uh, two teams of uh, 12 people, and maybe four will be blind in the whole group. But the advantage to doing it when we do it, which is it starts the day we leave, is all the equipment's in place. Mm. All the all the software is turned on. We have uh, refreshable Braille displays. Freedom Scientific donates for the week. That's all there. We have our low vision magnifiers, telescopes, all there. Uh, so everything's in place for the adults if they want to come and if they need it. 
But if you want to, if it doesn't work for you and you can't come till December, then you just need to notify them in advance. And if there's special needs that they don't have there, they'll notify me and then I'll set, set my team in, in, uh, headed in the right direction and we'll get down there what needs to be done, but we'll need some lead time. Okay. So any, can any adult who's interested in going to space camp, like disability or not, just go at any time? Like, yeah, with, with warning, right. Uh, space camp or us space and rocket center um, space camp is not a federally funded program. It is not NASA. A lot of people call it NASA space mm -hmm. camp which could be couldn't be more wrong it is not run by nasa it's run by uh the state of alabama it is a uh not-for-profit program and if you um put in your stuff that you're coming to nasa space camp that's wrong right. i always said if, if nasa was in charge of the funding for space camp they would have closed 50 years ago <laughs> so because they nasa always gets their budget cut Mm -hmm. But it is a not-for-profit. Um, anybody can come at any time, and as long as there's a program offered that that week or weekend. Adult programs are weekends. Okay. Friday to a Sunday. Oh, okay. That's cool. And there's week-long programs. There's ten-day programs. Um, there's just or if you have a there's corporate programs. So if you have a like IBM wants to send their top executives, they can design their own program and space camp will run it for them. So, I mean, space is pretty visual. Like I, I've never been able to see stars or, you know, look through a telescope and kind of get a sense of what all that looks like. Do you feel like kids have a better sense of what space is after they've been through this program? Well, this is how I've always related it, Sean. When I taught mobility and I'm on a street corner at a four-way intersection, and I'm trying to explain everything that a child can't see so they can learn to cross that intersection safely. It's, it's a concept mm -hmm. and, and space is a concept. I can't fathom the immensity of space. I can look up and see a star, but I'm not sure what that does for me. Mm -hmm. uh, aesthetically, I guess I get a warm and fuzzy, but it, it doesn't really, it, it's more about what your concept of it is, what you, is there life out there? Is there not life out there? Um, you know, all the different, the proto stars, the pulsars, the black holes, and all that is what makes it up. It's not, it's not a matter of looking up and seeing it. Right. It's the concept of it. Cool. I don't know if that does you any good or not, but that's how I've always had to explain it. Yeah. That's great. Because a lot of things for blindness is our co concepts. Mm -hmm. And if you I always, yeah. I always tell the story of a lady who I uh, was at a conference, totally blind. She was PH, she was a PhD and we were all sitting at the table having our dinner and there was applesauce on the plate and someone made the comment to her, Oh, this applesauce looks like baby poop, you know, and, and the mother or in the in the blind adult said, well, baby poop's not red. Mm -hmm. And and the we said, well, this is not red. And she says, well, if it's applesauce, it's got to be red because apples are red. And there's a PhD, super yes. intelligent lady who never knew that the inside of an apple wasn't red. Yes. 
Yeah, so it's, it's that concept of little things like that that will make a difference. You already touched on this, but what's the cost for a blind person? You mean for Saviz or for the adult program? Um, for the Saviz. For the youth. Yeah, I, right now it's $1,100 for the advanced program, which involves uh, scuba diving, uh, college credit of science, uh, longer missions. And it's nine hundred and sixty-five dollars for all the other, all the other programs that you could possibly do, grades four through twelve, aviation challenge, or anything else. And uh, next year it will go up substantially. We were able to retain last year's cost. Is that plus flight? Yes. Right. Yeah. And I, but those scholarships that I'm talking about the Lighthouse Scholarship, which you guys would qualify for, and Northrop Grumman, which you all would qualify for, pays for flights and tuition and fees. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, what's, what is your website again, if people want more information or to, to fill out those yeah. forms? It's www.sciviz, S-C-I, the first three letters of science, V-I-S, the, last three the first three letters of vision.org. Awesome. Okay. And uh, we'll get there. You'll see forms and you go there and you'll see the scholarship. Even though it says it has to be in by April 15th or something, fill it out, send it in. We'll give it a look, see, and see what we can do. Thank you so much for joining us, Dan. This has been fascinating. And Jill, thanks for sharing your experience. I'm sure yes, that uh, Nolan and Jagad are itching to yeah. go, right? <laughs> I really want to go some yeah. point where's my flight <laughs> i'm going to make it i'm going to make it my mission there to <laughs> go sometime there. before very good, very I, good. I like you already <laughs> sometime awesome. before i graduate high school yes cool yeah. all right and and my e email and information is on the website if you've got questions please email me call me my life's an open book i don't have any other things going on so I, this time of the year is sci-viz oriented. This is what I did. So, awesome. Nice to be retired. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast with a friend, like, subscribe, leave us a rating and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time.